Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Uh, thank you for joining me as we study through God's word. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of First Kings. Uh, we're going to be looking at, the, uh, at chapters 5 and chapter 6 in this message. So last week... We got to take a look at Solomon's kingdom, right? We got to see him set up this administration. We got to see the most peaceful and peaceful and prosperous time ever in the history of Israel. We also got to see how widespread the wisdom of Solomon had become. It was the talk of the ancient world. He was famous, right? So this was quite the time in the in Israel's history. We're reminded that, yes, this is an amazing time, but what we have to look forward to will will, will forever trump this period of peace and prosperity. Because we know that Jesus is greater than Solomon. So this uh, this morning, or whenever you're you're listening to this, uh, we're going to be boldly covering the uh, 1 Kings 5 and 6, as I said, and we're going to be looking at the gathering of supplies for the temple, as well as the building of the temple. Right, we're going to see the arrangement for supplies, the labor force, the dimensions of the temple, and the temple itself. So before we go any further, let's pray, and then we will uh, dive on in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we have to spend in your word. Lord, I thank you... Uh, I thank you for your word and everything that we can learn through it. Lord, I just want to pray as we go into this study that we will really have ears that are open to hearing what you have to say. Lord, help us to be willing to uh, change what is needed and apply the the message that we're hearing this morning. Lord, I pray this all in your name. Amen. So, starting off in 1 Kings chapter 5, we're going to be looking through verses 1 through 12. It says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon, because he heard that he had had been anointed king in the place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because the wars which were fought against him on every side. Until the Lord put the foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build the house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set uh, set on your throne in your place, he shall build the temple for my name. Now, therefore, command that uh, they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon and send my and, and my servants will be with your servants and I will pay your you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For, you know, there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. Right. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, 
For he has given David a wise son over his great people. And then here I'm sent to Solomon saying, I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in, a, in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me, and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. A lot in here. The first thing we see, uh, the first thing I want to point out, is that Hiram loved David. You know, yes, David was this warrior king, right? As it said, there was wars going on all around him. But he understood that not everyone around him was an enemy. Hiram was one of those who was not an enemy. Hiram is the one who initiates this alliance with Solomon, right? Because he loved, because of the love he had for David. Solomon goes ahead and, and, and sends word back mentioning that David uh, was told he couldn't build the temple because of the blood shed and like the blood on his hands and because there was wars going on around him. Right? Solomon continues by contrasting this saying, but the nation is now at peace. There's peace all around. This is the time to build the temple. He wants to fulfill the words of God to David about him, himself building the temple. After Solomon states his desire to build this temple, he requests supplies. Right? No, though David... He was told he couldn't build a temple or he wouldn't be the one building the temple. That didn't stop him from helping. Just look at Chronicles, chapter, 1 Chronicles 22, verses 1 through 5. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors and of the gates and of the joints. And, in, and bronze in abundance beyond measure. And cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Right. So David, he had already been had already worked something out with Hiram. He had paved the way for Solomon to uh, to bring in some supplies. 
right? Now Solomon is just telling him, hey, can you bring the supplies now? I'm going to build the temple, right? So he just wants the supplies. I also want to note quickly that the wood used is Gentile. The labor used to get it is Gentile. You know, Solomon realized that this was the temple for the God of Israel, for the Jews first. But it wasn't solely for the people of Israel. He is our God too. Yes, Jesus came for the Jew first, then the Gentile. Right? But he is our God too. We can worship him in this place as well. Right? So Hiram, he agrees and rejoices greatly. Once again, this Gentile man, another case of Gentile. This is quite the response for a Gentile. Like, we don't know if he knows God, but he has a respect for God. Right? He goes on to say that he will do this thing that Solomon asked. Right? But of course, there is that topic of, of payment. Because Solomon, this is a business transaction. It is a, uh, a trade. It's a treaty between two nations. Some, it's a give and take kind of thing. Right? So Solomon, he did offer to pay whatever he asked. And Hiram asks for food for his household. And I got to say, Solomon more than compensates Hiram. More than compensates him. Right? Remember how last week we talked about how the daily... Uh, provisions for Solomon's house and how insane that is and how it could probably feed 36,000 people kind of thing. Well, and he was getting, what was it? 20 cores of something and 60 cores of like, or 30 cores, whatever it was, right? Uh, blanking on the actual numbers right now. But here for the entire year, it's less than what Solomon's getting, but he's offering him 20,000 cores of wheat every year and on top of that 20 cores of oil every year i think that more than compensates <laughs> it's a yearly ta- year- yearly compensation for the supplies for the house of the lord i think that's a lot and it's 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 generous right his prosperity is is overflow overflowing right now This isn't a gift to Solomon, right? Because there's a payment involved. This isn't a gift from Hiram to Solomon. And Solomon knew this, hence why he said, I will pay the wages for your servants, whatever you say. Now, my question is, do we have that same, a similar attitude that Hiram has here? Do we see an opportunity to serve and look at what we can get out of it? Right now, I I am not saying Hiram is wrong in what he is doing here. From all we know, he is not saved. He is not a believer. He just respects the Lord. Right? But is our attitude, blessed be the Lord. Now, where's my money? Right? Or are we giving freely of our time and of our money, not expecting anything in return? Right, Hiram could have easily said, like, saying, "Blessed be the Lord," been like, "Here, Solomon, because this is going to be the temple of the Lord, I want to give you this." But he didn't. 
Right? We need to check our own attitude. Right? And as we end this section, we see that there is peace between the two nations. And it's very powerful, this peace, right? We already learned about how there's peace and prosperity in this time. But I want to say this. There has never been a stronger bond between these two nations of Lebanon and Israel in this time. Lebanon and Israel, the middle, like that whole peace in the Middle East, they are at each other's throats. The Arab nations are at the throats of the Israelites. There is no peace, but here we see that the two nations are at peace. There are nations that have never been with peace in peace with Israel since. And that's just powerful, I find, right? It's just reinforcing that idea that there is peace on every side, right? And moving on here, uh, we're going to be looking at his labor force. And I've divided this one up into two uh, many sections within a section. Uh, we're going to look first at the labor force of the Israelis and second at the slaves. So first, looking at 1 Kings 5 verses 13 through 14, it says, Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoram was in charge of the labor force. Now, the first labor force that we see is 30,000 men. That's a lot. Not as much as what we'll see next, but that's a lot, right? And, and we're told that their task was to be in Lebanon and Israel in shifts, right? One month in Lebanon, two months at home, right? And also the fact that these were out of all Israel. I've seen it speculated that Judah was given special treatment throughout most of Israel, hence why the split of Judah and Israel. But uh, what I believe is that Judah was included here because it's out of all Israel, right? And Judah's part of Israel. Now, uh, there is a couple different opinions that I've heard about these men. Uh, first off, some people believe that these were free men and that they were being paid to do this work. Hence why it took so long, it took four years into Solomon's reign to uh, be able to build the temple because they needed the money to compensate for the people. The other belief is that uh, these were, a that there was a draft. There's more of a draft here. Meaning they didn't have a choice. They were conscripted. Personally, I am of the belief that these men of Israel were not uh, willingly participating. I believe that these men were forced. It was a labor force of forced labor. Right? If you look at the word in Hebrew, looking at the original language, it helps you a lot. The word is mas. It means a gang or body of forced laborers. The choice of words says it all. These men were not being paid. They were forced to do this work. These were Israeli men, only 30,000 of them, but they were being forced. The second group that we look at is the slaves. It says in verses uh, 15 through 18 that Solomon had 
had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Besides 3,300 from, from the chief of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Jebulites quarried them. And they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. So, the second group, as I already said, is the slaves. And the number of slaves who were forced into this labor force was 150,000 men. That's just the laborers. There's also another 3,300 men who were in charge. They were overseers of the work. They were making sure the work was being done. Now, of these slaves, we see that there were two different jobs, two different tasks uh, they were divided into. I don't know if you could switch halfway through or whatever, but uh, who knows. But there was two tasks. 70,000 did uh, carried the burdens and 80,000 quarried the stones. Both jobs had to do with the foundation of the temple. Right? These men were to quarry large, costly, and hewn stones. The idea here is that they will be laying the foundation with costly stones, or in other words, quality stones. This was the part of the temple that isn't going to be noticed. I doubt, I, I, I highly doubt people are going to go to this temple and would stop and say, Wow. That's a mighty fine foundation you built there. Or walking up, looking at the splendor of this temple overlaid in gold, just this magnificent building, and looking at it and say, yeah, that temple, it was pretty great. But did you see that foundation? Right? I doubt people are going to be like, wow, look at the foundation. That's the best part of the trip. I mean, if you go to the Temple Mount now, though it's not Solomon's temple, uh, it's the Herod's Temple Mount. There's no temple on the mount, so all you can do is look at the craftsmanship of the foundation, right? But nobody's going to look at the foundation. They don't care. So are, are we are we working on the aspect that nobody will ever see, right? How is our foundation, right? Now I've had, I've always had this um, idea of ministry. This uh, I want to say. Uh, not not hierarchy, but step by step process for ministry. But I've always believed that kids' ministry is where you build your foundation. Right, is where you get to learn about Jesus and understand Jesus in your level, um, and then you're b- getting the basics of of Christianity, and you're kind of building that that foundation. Right, and then you move on to youth. And youth is kind of firming up the foundation as well as building the frame to the house, right? And then the rest of your life after that is just building upon the frame, putting the drywall, the siding, the roofing, the electricity in there, like refurbishing the house, like putting some finishing touches in, some furniture, paint, right? Like just things that you're going to, little things that you're going to change for the rest of your life, right? So... 
the rest is going to be built upon. It, it is all built upon the foundation, right? So we know just how important the foundation is. We've already been told this in the Bible, right? Just in that story of the house on the rock versus the house on the sand. When the storm came, when the rains came, when the floods came, what happened to the house on the sand? The house that had no foundation, right? It crumbled. But the house on the rock, it had a firm foundation, right? So, how is your foundation? Are you paying just as much attention, if not more, attention to your foundation than you do to the rest of your house? It's something to think on. Spurgeon puts it perfectly, saying this, I want, dear friends, to urge that all our work for God should be done thoroughly, and especially that part of it which lies lowest and is least observed by men. People aren't going to see your foundation. But is it strong? Is it firm? Right? The firmer it is, the less likely it will fall. Right? Now quickly, moving back to this labor force, um, I want to say that it'll eventually hit its limit with the people. You know, they'll have their they'll have enough of it. But right now, it's, this temple takes seven years to build, and they don't mind, because they are building a house for the Lord of their, of the Lord God of Israel, right? A place where they can worship Him, so they don't have to go and worship in the tabernacle like they did previously, or more likely recently high places, right? So it's it's fine now, but. As you'll see later on, they will have enough when building project after building project after building project comes up and, you know, they're building the palace for Solomon. <laughs> you know, there's going to be things where it hits its limit, but now they're fine with being forced in to labor. At least the Israelites are, right? Moving on, we're going to be looking at chapter 6 now, uh, halfway through. It says in... Uh, in verses 1 through 10. And it came to pass in the fourth, 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel. In the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord... Uh, for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across, and the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made from the house, uh, for the house windows with beveled frames. Against the wall of the temple he built chambers all around, against the wall of the temple, all around the sanctuary uh, and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. The lowest was five cubits wide, the middle was six cubits wide, and the third was seven cubits wide. For he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. And the temple, when it was being built, was uh, built with stones 
fir- finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway for the middle of the story was on the right side of the temple. They went up the st- up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it and he paneled the temple with beams of boards of cedar and he built side chambers against the entire temple each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Okay, so first off, we are given how much time has passed since the exodus from Egypt. This is the only time we are ever given the time since the exodus of Egypt. Because this is a very important thing. That is when they became a nation. Right, they were they grew in in Egypt and they ex they they exited they left and they were the Hebrews they were the nation of Israel, right? So it took them they it took them four hundred and eighty years of living in the Promised Land before that wandering in the wilderness for forty years, uh, Joshua's conquest of the land, the the judges right like. It took them 480 years before they built God's temple, before they built the house of the Lord. Now, the tabernacle, it served the nation well for over 400 years. And now it is time for the temple to be built. We are now seeing the fulfillment of what it says in Exodus 15, verse 17 through 18. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your of your inheritance in the place o lord which you have made for your own dwelling the sanctuary o lord which your hands have established the lord shall reign forever and ever now once again this is still pointing at what is to come but the nation will finally have a house of the lord they're planted in the land now they have a sanctuary Right? And we also see that this is all happening in the fourth year and second month of Solomon's reign. Right? So, moving on to the temple itself here, not the section of the temple, but like, let's look at these dimensions that we are given. First off, we see four structures. Only three of them listed off here, and a fourth is listed off in uh, verse 36. But we're seeing four structures described for this temple. Right, The first is the temple proper. That means the holy place and the most holy. The second is the vestibule, or the entrance hall on the east side of the temple proper. Then we also see the three-storied side chambers around the whole temple, temple proper. And then lastly, there's the large courtyard surrounding the entire structure. Now, based on, uh, I'm going to give you guys some approximations of how uh, the dimensions were based on how big an actual, how big a cubit is equal to, right? So the temple proper was 90 feet long, or the temple itself was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet tall. Right? The entrance was 15 feet tall, 15 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. Right? The three-storied side chambers were 
each respectively seven seven and a half feet, nine feet, and then ten feet tall. Now the fourth thing was the courtyard. Right? Now the courtyard isn't actually mentioned, right? Like I said until verse 36. So there's no and, and even when it's mentioned, there's no actual measurements given. It just says that it's three rows of hewn stones, and who knows how big these hewn stones are. But it's three rows of hewn stones. Right? Like I know it's very hard to imagine all this. Um <laughs> I have a I have a picture that I can look at. And if you want to look at it and then go through these lists, but it's a, it's quite the quite the structure. Right? But uh, before we move on, because it's dimensions are a difficult thing to talk about and get across. But the one there's one more thing I want to point out here before we move on to the last section. All these stones, right? Because they talked about uh, the stone, the dimensions. But like all the stones that they had, they were cut and prepared off site. They had no tools to be heard in the temple while it was being built. Right, Solomon here is showing God's house the respect it deserves before it was actually built. Right, like right as like as we talked already before, like about working on our foundation. I'd also want to add to that. Right, we are being cut, we are being prepared. Right, you look at the trials, the tribulation, the persecution we go through. It is preparing us. It is like the process process of gold right how it's heated up and skimmed off the top heated up skimmed off the top right we're being worked on and one day we will fit we we will ourselves fit like a puzzle piece in this kingdom of god but there's no work to be done there right that is a place of no more work right we are being prepared now so that's the last thing before now moving on here to the last uh, section this morning looking at the temple and all its great detail um, first off I want to read verses 11 through 13 and then we'll go into uh, more of like the finishing touches of the temple it says in uh, chapter 6 verse 11 through 13. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Right? So we come to this last section this morning. And I want to start when we see that it's starting off by God reiterating his promise to David. Right? We see this promise is concerning the temple. Now, we've already seen similar promises twice in the book of 1 Kings. The first one was in 1 Kings 2, verse 3 through 4, where David was exhorting Solomon to keep God at the center of the kingdom. God is a central point, right? And second, in 1 Kings 3.14, where God says he would give Solomon all he didn't ask for if he followed 
after him if he kept his commandments. Right? So this is a third promise already. Now it's concerning the temple. We see that God once again is saying, keep me first and foremost and you will be blessed. You will prosper. I will not forsake my people. Right? We will notice later in Solomon's life how his actions impact the nation. Right? And it starts that separation of them from God and the years of hardship and a lot of problems in Israel. Right? But we need we need to be reminded, and Solomon needs to be reminded, that's why it's the third time it's brought up. Keep God central. God's saying, keep me in the first, keep me first. Keep me at the center. Right? We need God first in our life. Right? Now, looking at the finishing touches of this temple, it says in verses 14 through 38, So Solomon built the temple and finished it. And he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built the 20 cubit room near the end rear of the temple from the floor to ceiling with cedar boards. He built he built it inside as the inner sanctuary as the most holy place. In the front of the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. Also all all was cedar and there was no stone to be seen. And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar with cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid them with gold. The whole temple was overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid the gold, overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, the other wing was, the cherub was five cubits, ten cubits from tip of one wing to the tip of the other. And the other cherub was ten cubits, both cherubim were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room and stretched out the wings of the cherub so that the one wing touched one wall, the other wing touched the of the cherub touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved on the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuaries, with carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood, and the lentil of the doorposts were one-fifth of the wall. 
The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved one of one uh, one of them on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So the for the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood, one fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood. Two panels comprised one folding door and two panels comprised the other folding door. Then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them, and overlaid them with gold, applied evenly on the carved work. And he built the inner court with three rows of hewn stones and a row of cedar beam. The fourth year, in the fourth year, the foundation of the, of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bul, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. Now, guys, I know that's a lot of detail. I want to I wanna give you guys a picture. Picture this, okay? You walk up to this temple mount, right? And you see this beautiful temple in front of you with amazing details all over the place. Right, you're in this courtyard that is uh, three rows of hewn stone wide. You don't know necessarily how big that is. But you see in the middle just this massive, beautiful temple. Right, and the, You walk into this entrance and there is these two doors, two folding doors of, of cypress wood overlaid with gold. Now, I know you can't necessarily see that they're cypress wood, but it is cypress wood and it's got this beautiful palm tree palm leaf flower detail to it. You open that up and you walk through the entrance into the sanctuary. Right? And you see the holy place completely overlaid with gold. You see all the tools needed for performing sacrifices and it's just amazing beauty everywhere. Right? You continue to look forward and you see these gold chains in front of this doorway and two massive olive wood doors overlaid with gold. And when you walk through these doors, you come to the most holy place, the holy of holies. Once again, it is completely overlaid with gold and there are two massive cherubim with their inner wings touching each other's and their outer wings touching the walls. And it's just the most beautiful designs, once again, of palm trees, cherubim, and flowers. And right between these two massive cherubim, there sits the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. This is truly a spectacle to behold, one that you would not have been able to see in the time because that's for the high priest. Right? You you just uh, picture this amazing temple and there was not only great planning that went into this. There was great execution in building it. It says that the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. Right? I've already mentioned this twice already how we've talked about building a firm foundation. Right? We need this foundation for God to build on. Right, When he is the one doing the building, it will go according to plan. Everything will be detailed. All the 
details will be finished and all its plans will be finished. Now, trust me, there's always going to be something that is weird and unexpected, like a hiccup to us. But it's not to God. It, it was going to happen along the way. It always was. It's, it's how we learn. Right? But it is God doing the work. It will always go according to his plan. Right? We must also remember that it is God to do the work, not us. Right? Solomon writes the very same thing in Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And we need to be letting God do the work in us. Right? So we end this section this morning seeing that this project took seven years to complete. He took the necessary time to do it, right? Like, I see buildings, warehouses, and stuff like that taking a year to be built. He took seven years to build this magnificent work of art, this house for the Lord. Guys, we don't know how long we have, right? We've talked about that in Ecclesiastes. We don't know our time. But we know that God is going to take that time. He needs to perfect us. We're not going to be perfect in this life. right? But we need to let him do the work in us. Or else it is done in vain. Okay? So, in closing this morning, we covered two chapters. Right? And, and this is what the takeaway should be. Right? There's two, there's two things that should be taken away. First... Are you taking the time and the detail to build your foundation? Right? We need a strong foundation or else the house that we build, it will not stand. Right? Even if there's a crack in our foundation, we'll fall. Right? We need a firm foundation. Right? So are you taking the detail needed? Second, are you allowing God to build your house? Or are you trying to do it yourself? If you try to do it yourself, you will labor in vain. God will build it. Let him build it. It will go according to his plan. So, how's your foundation? Let God work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we have to study it. But I just pray that as we uh, go on today, that we'll be able to uh, continually put this into practice, looking at our foundation, Lord, and looking at how we, we act towards you, building us up, sending us through trials. Lord, help us to have our attitude right. Lord, help us to be able to keep you at the center of it all. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook.